Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. A Far Way to Run by Lori Altabomber Shane Wright returns to the Texas town where she grew up for a funeral and accidentally gets caught in a human trafficking scheme gone wrong. When she stops to render aid at an accident, she ends up with a gunshot wound to her shoulder and a target on her back when the trafficker believes she stole his money. Her plan to stay the night at the old family farm becomes complicated when she finds it has been leased to a man working through some past demons of his own. Former military sniper Ethan McGregor is here on a reconnaissance mission for an organization that fights human trafficking. The complications keep coming when her prodigal brother shows up. When he tells Shane and Ethan he saw a woman being held against her will, Ethan's interest intensifies, thinking this might be the human trafficking he's here to uncover. Shane, on the other hand, wrestles with trusting her brother. Her conscience propels her to search for a way to help, but knowing the woman is being held at the place where she'd been assaulted makes her wary. It doesn't help that she's kept the attack a secret. The other person who knows her secret is also obsessed with her. When he abducts her, she finds out her strength to face evil is stronger than the shame she fears. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamricker, and I'm so glad you joined me. Today, I have two returning guests, Wendy Wilson-Spooner, who's going to talk um, a little bit about her newest romantic suspense, Celtic Winter, and Lori Altbomber, who's going to talk about her newest romantic suspense, A Far Way to Run. So welcome back to my show. Hello. We were uh, chatting a little bit before the show about the themes in our in our writing. So I would love for our listeners to hear that. So Lori, why don't you go first? Why don't you talk a little bit about what what kind of themes do you have or theme do you have in your writing? Um, well, when I set out to write a book, when I get an idea and I start working on it, I don't have like in my head, this is the theme I'm going to show my readers. It just, it comes out. But what I find is the repeat pattern of my theme is always taking a woman who has been broken or abused by this um, wound, by this broken world and showing her, walking her through um, the steps of forgiveness, things like that to show that she, her past does not um, take away her future. It does not keep her from having a purpose in the future and, and something wonderful to accomplish to that. She is an overcomer. She has the power to be an overcomer. So that's the theme that always materializes, always rises to the surface in whatever my story is. Yeah. And Wendy, you were mentioning that you write dual time and that your modern day character looks to her past, sometimes her very distant past with her ancestors to kind of figure out who she is. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So my books are dual timeline, like you said. And so the historical chapters are actually a story that I researched in Ireland about a young man who 
left his family and crossed the Atlantic alone in 1817 to find a way to save his family. And it's who he became in America that I had to write his story. And because of the study that Emory University did on youth and children and their overall mental health and well-being, knowing who they come from, so knowing a lot of things about their own answers, ancestors is why I wrote in a fictional descendant of this wonderful rags to riches immigration story that has God woven through all of it and how he carries us through so many things is the reason that I have a teenage character as well written into my stories. I love that. And uh, what I hear from both of you is that that infusion of hope in the story that whatever we're experiencing now isn't the re- isn't the final say in our story. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's important that that readers, that everyone, whether a reader or not, understand that we actually live in a larger story. It's God's larger story, and we have a role for our specific time. That for such a time as this. Um, verse has been in my head for the past couple of years so much. And, and it ended up appearing in my new book that's coming out on May 26th, way more than I expected. I, I didn't intend to put it in, but it just rose to the top there too. But uh, yeah, we live, we live in a story, a large, wonderful, amazing, but dirty, warfare-ridden, broken story. <laughs> yeah, we live in the end times that the Bible has been talking about for a very long time. And here we are. And what choices are we making? Yes. How, how much are we standing up for God in absolutely everything we do as our Savior Jesus Christ is on the brink of returning to us? I like and that. I, yeah. And I think, and I think um, as fiction writers mm-hmm. and as, you know, suspense, romantic suspense fiction writers, you know, we have um, such a wonderful opportunity to infuse our stories with those truths, with those biblical truths, with those, um, that hope. Um, That's one theme that I find I want my readers to come away with is that no matter what happened in the past, there is hope for the future. Like I, you know, like I tell my kids, yeah, you made a mistake, but you can do better next time. You know, that there is that, that opportunity for a better future. Um, and I want my characters to have that as well. And, you know, I, um, when my kids were little, I remember reading a study and I'm, I know there's been many studies over the years about this, about how reading really helps us develop that empathy and, and it helps children in particular as they're learning how to navigate emotions and, and loss and all these big things, you know, other people who look different than you. I mean, all these themes that we see um, in children's literature, of course, we see in adult literature too. And I, I was remember thinking, yeah, I, there's been some books that have helped me kind of through fiction books, stories that help us imagine. So um, I'd love to suspend since we're on this kind of theme, just to talk a little bit about how do you feel that as a writer that you're, you know, you know, you're using these themes to kind of, I've sometimes we work things out in our own, <laughs> on our own lives, but also, also um, 
you know, getting that, getting those truths to that reader. Yeah. So when I write, I am subtly teaching. And um, so one of the things I'm teaching is genetic genealogy because I'm a professional genetic genealogy. So I find family is what I do. So through DNA testing and traditional genealogical research, I find the biological family members of mainly adoptees, but also there are many people out there that have no idea who their fathers are. Mm-hmm. And so each one of us, you know, if we grew up with the father and we have a great relationship with our father, that is wonderful. But really the father that we all need to connect to is our heavenly father. And uh, my undergrad is in psychology and psychology can be a very interesting field for Christians because a lot of it is very godless. But my favorite professor was actually a creation-based psychologist and and he taught attachment theory in the way that I don't know anybody else teaches that you have to be attached to God to experience your best life here on earth and for your best case scenario of mental health. And so that is also another theme woven into my books. Yeah, that's great. Lori, do you have any thoughts on this topic? Well, I'm still meditating on Wendy's, uh, you've got to be attached to God. I love that phrasing. So, um, but, uh, you know, I struggled with, uh, when I started writing romantic suspense, why was I writing romantic suspense? Because I do not want to glorify evil. I want to glorify God. And so there was some prayer in that. There was some listening to God. And because I, you know, just, I want to make sure I was on the path of, that he wanted and that I wasn't just writing to entertain people. But he did remind me that we are in a, we are in a war. That's the world we live in. And that my books, I write romantic suspense because I love the the theme of good overcoming evil, which is ultimately as a Christian, the truth of our life. Good will overcome evil, whether it's in this world or in eternity when we get there. Um, and I came to see the, the romantic part I thought was for a while was just fluff to add in so people would like it. But honestly, um, Jesus Romance romances our heart. I mean, he has come for our heart. So romantic suspense to me is the embodiment of the life we live. We're being romanced by Jesus and we are in a world of suspense. Every breath is suspenseful, but we know the outcome. Good will prevail. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that that's that's beautiful. But I I would also say it's okay for people to be entertained by our yes own. yes. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. I mean, I want oh my goodness. I want my readers to be entertained. Yes, but I want them also, you know, to absorb those things because if they're not entertained, they're not going to read our book. So just putting right. out there that yeah, you're right. No, but it just no, I agree. That's that. the first reason they need to read is, is the entertainment. And I don't ever try to preach and put the message in the book in a way that makes it takes away from the entertainment value. But I want them to be a, a better person when they had finished the book right. because they're closer to God. So yes, yes, yeah, totally. and, and to have those. Um, those biblical truths that we can weave in in a natural way because this is what our characters are going to going through um yeah in a natural way as opposed to you know the, the those christian fiction books of you of you know 
30, 40, 50 years ago where all of a sudden the <laughs> yeah. characters are going along and I was like, oh, let's go to church. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think that probably the most important thing we could do in our writing is to create engaging content that people don't want to put down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then again, they can go through everything that we intend for them to in the story. Yeah. And, you know, with the suspense part, obviously there's that added tension to it, which can bring out some of these issues that the characters need to resolve, that they really need to resolve with God's help. Right. So that's what I love about um, writing romantic suspense is that, you know, it kind of adds that in there. And, and I just love mystery. So I'm always like a little, well, a little bit big, deeper. I do too. To be honest, I write suspense because I can get my characters to do things I would never do. You know, <laughs> they are way braver, <laughs> way smarter, way bolder than I would ever be. So yes, yeah, I've not been shot. Yeah, or, or maybe no, even things that, yeah, maybe even things we couldn't ever do, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, is, it does get kind of fun to, to think about ways to, you know, close format our characters and again a good way as a in, in the story not super gross in a loving godly way we just want to torment them a little yeah, <laughs> yeah. those are the bad guys the bad guys are after them they have to figure it out yeah yeah so um so let's talk a little bit about your new book so um Lori, your book, A Far Away to Write, is it a sequel? Is it a book two? Is it a standalone? What about it? it? It's a book two. Um, okay. It's set in the same town and there are a few of the same characters, but you do not have to read book one for book two okay. to make sense and work. So I, I just kind of uh, took the same location and some of the same, same people, same issues and moved them into book two. So so, and this is a town you've created or? Yes, it, okay. it's, a, it's a fictional town. Yes. It's a combination yeah. of several small towns. So, yeah, I've, I've created a fictional town. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I could use a real one, but I think I'm just going to go with, yeah, with a fake one. It's kind of fun. <laughs> it kind of gets some, yeah, like, I don't know. I like creating my own town. Yeah. <laughs> The thing I have a problem with, and I need to take, I just need to take better notes, is where I put things. Like, <laughs> is the hardware store next to the cafe? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to write this. I need to have like a little map of the of the town. Yeah. I'm a horrible drawer. This is why I'm a writer. Because <laughs> my children used to laugh at my stick figures. I was that bad. I'm that bad. This is not good mm-hmm. at all. So I need to. Well, I I have the um opposite problem of you guys because I wrote about an actual frontier town in the United States where my main character he became a founding father so I adhere very closely to 200 years ago what was this town like to present day okay what's this town like oh right with the historical part you have to be super accurate about that see this is yeah why I'm not writing historical fiction (laughs) (laughs) I love to I love to read it sometimes you know it's one of my genres I enjoy reading but um yeah I'm too impatient I'm such a history nerd. I will go through every, I will plow through every archive I can find to find the most beautiful 
real details about people and places and times. Mm. Oh, I love that. I'm a history buff too. I just rather read about it than actually go and <laughs> recreate it. <laughs> I'll just enjoy the fruits of your labor. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I went through the pain, serious pain for three years of my graduate degree at the University of London in genealogy and documentary sciences. And the Brits are the best genealogists in the world because of the feudal system. So I learned from the best how to find the truth at the very bottom of the very deep pile. Oh my goodness. Wow. That sounds, that sounds tiring. <laughs> I just want to go. It's actually, if, if you love it, it's the grandest adventure you could ever imagine. I can see myself getting all off in that pile of research and never actually getting to the writing, just going through the research. <laughs> same, same. That's what I would be. So Wendy, so now we want to know, how do you balance the research with the, with the writing? Well, I used to be a panster in my writing. So my first book, I literally just... Uh, went with it as I was researching I would write oh my gosh I've got to write this into the story this is going to make this is just going to pop for people's hearts and so the first book just pantsed the whole thing and then the second book I thought about how long it took me to write that way it took me three years to write my first book and so the second book I just thought no this I've got to I've got to outline this so that when I'm researching, I know exactly what I want to find. So that it doesn't take me three years. So the second book only took me a year to write. So that is progress. <laughs> that is progress. That's great. <laughs> so Lori, are you a panster or a plotter now that we're, now that we're well, into that territory? <laughs> I have been a panster and I am a pantser and I'm, I'm like Wendy, the amount of time it takes me to write and I'm not even doing all the research she's doing the the rewriting and uh, I think I wrote 10 books to get one book out of it because I didn't have a plan so I'm trying to merge merge the I don't I, I don't have the patience to sit down and plot it all and that just spoils the fun for me a lot of it's the exploration along the way but I do need some basic outline and uh, agenda of where we're going so that I don't end up with that where I've got you know I've written 10 books just to get one <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh gosh I tend to be a panster because I don't know I just that's just the way my mind works I can't really think I can think like six chapters ahead but I can't mm-hmm. think really 20 chapters ahead so but I've been working on that because I want to sell on proposal I don't want to write the whole thing <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's been my struggle to try to figure out a way to you know tell the story in a synopsis without, you know, having to plot every chapter. So anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll get there because, you know, I, I love the advice that we get from James Bell. He says, you just have to know the ending. If you know the ending to your story, you can figure out the beginning and you fill everything in, in the middle. And that has been very helpful for me. Yes. Yeah. I tend to know the ending, although I don't always know who the bad guy is. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, Ooh, over all yeah. the plots along the way. I mean, I kind of know what happened and why it happened. 
And so then I go fill it in. So yeah, I'm trying. It's like, you know, your, your brain, you just brains just work in different ways. So I love to talk to other writers because, you know, our brains are just so unique to us and, and we can train them to some extent, but we can't, you know, there's certain things my brain is never going to be a chapter one. This happens and go all the way through and be able to write that book. No. Yes. <laughs> I could try it, but then it's going to run off in a different direction every time. Every time. <laughs> halfway, halfway through and, and you'll, your character will tell you something. I was like, I didn't know that. If you had told me that six chapters ago, that would have made a huge difference. So yeah. 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 Well, um, speaking, speaking of bad guys, because you, you touched on that. I don't know who the bad guy might be, right? Well, in, um, in my first book, there isn't really an antagonist. The bad guy is time. It's typhus fever. It's crossing the Atlantic and surviving that crossing. And then it's surviving on the American frontier and everything that they dealt with in that time. And then in, um, my first book, it's uh, the main character who's the teenage girl in the, the um, present day timeline. The antagonist for her is her grief over a loved one's death that has blocked her from painting. She's a gifted artist. She doesn't know what to paint anymore. Her heart is so broken and she wants to get into the best art schools and she feels like she doesn't even can't even take another step in front of her. So in the first book, the antagonist is not even a person. But in my second book, the antagonist is a person and it's very clear who that is. And I've had readers message me and say, I hate this person so much. I don't even know what to do with him. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I like to. Yeah, it's fun to cloak the I think it's this person. Maybe it's this person. <laughs> yeah. And the why, why are they doing it? Yeah, that, that's, those are fun to do. Well, lady, we are almost out of time. So I'm going to give you each um, one more opportunity just to say like, let me one line about your most recent book. So Wendy, um, Celtic Winter, what do we, what is one thing we need to know about Celtic Winter? Celtic Winter is about two young ladies, two centuries apart, racing the clock to save the people they love. Great. All right. I love that. And uh, Lori, A Far Way to Run. A Far Way to Run is about a young woman named Shane Wright who learns there really is more than one way to bury a person. Okay. So readers, you can hear a little bit more about this um, with this podcast that I hope you go pick up. Uh, Lori Altbomber's A Far Way to Run and Wendy Wilson Spooner's Celtic Winter. Thank you for being on my show. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hamaker, and I'm so glad you joined me today. I've been talking with Lori Altbomber and Wendy Wilson-Spooner, and you can find out more about them with the notes to this podcast. Celtic Winter by Wendy Wilson-Spooner Two young ladies, two centuries apart, both struggling to save the people they love in this captivating sequel to Once Upon an Irish Summer. In 1817, Eliza Hamilton loses her brother to the lure of America and is left behind to keep her family alive amid religious warfare, 
oppressive English laws, typhus fever, and starvation. She has no time for love, even when a noble suitor wishes to marry her. In present-day America, a gifted artist travels to help her injured grandmother. When she arrives, she also finds the mother of the young man she loves on her deathbed. While juggling school, her budding art career, and caring for her grandmother, Beth races the clock with Preston to find the only relative who could save his mother's life. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.